You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates on the Pet Life Radio Network. This is the unique show where each episode is focused on an animal advocate whose work helps improve or save the lives of animals and makes our planet a better place. I'm Keith Sanderson, creator and host of Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates and the sidekick of Max A. Pooch, the canine champion for animals and the environment. And with us today is Dr. Ann Beal, who is the author of Community Cats, A Journey into the World of Feral Cats, and received her MS, her Master's of Philosophy, and PhD degree from Yale University. She is president of Beal Research, Inc., a strategic market research firm. Anne lives in Chicago with her husband, Doug, her indoor cat, Serena, and her outdoor colony cats, Allie, Eloise, and Duke. We'll learn what motivated Anne to write Community Cats, a journey into the world of feral cats, the benefits of trap, neuter, release colonies, to neighborhoods and more. But first, a word from our sponsors. We'll be right back. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. It's designerpetsweaters.com. Hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat. Beautiful couture patterns for your pets, including custom-knitted formal wear, casual wear, yachting, and even sports-themed. Many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats, top hats, and a lot of sparkle. Each sweater includes leg loops, front paw sleeves, and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Your pets will stay warm for the winter and be runway ready. Large or small, we fit them all. Designerpetsweaters.com Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com Welcome back to Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates. I'm your host, Keith Sanderson, and my guest today is Dr. Ann Beal, author of Community Cats, A Journey into the World of Feral Cats. Welcome, Ann. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure. You know, I've been looking forward to this. I read your book, and I realized that my daughter, Christine, and her family live in the same Chicago neighborhood that you live in. And I know from their experiences, rats can be a nuisance and a problem. Last winter, which, as you recall, was so frigid, these opportunistic animals even invaded Christine's automobile, where they sought shelter and warmth under its hood. There, the villainous rats chewed the wiring to the car's ignition. When I learned about your book, I was very interested in reading it and discussing the positive impact feral cat colonies can have in a neighborhood. And Anne, as a head of a successful strategic marketing research firm, what caused you to write the book, Community Cats? That's a great question. I actually didn't have any interest in uh, feral cats at all. But like your daughter, we actually had a big rat problem uh, right in my uh, neighborhood. Actually, a rat ran over my husband's foot. And he basically said to me after that happened, we're either moving or we are solving this problem. And Keith, we tried everything. We tried poison. We tried 
gassing them. We did everything we could. We put glass into their holes, and whatever we did, they just prevailed. I mean, we just could not get rid of them. And I heard about this program where they bring feral cats into a neighborhood, and they end up getting rid of the rats. So we applied to be a part of this program in our neighborhood, and we became the caretakers of a colony of feral cats. And I didn't think so much about it until we got the cats, and I found them to be unbelievably interesting. And I found their stories interesting and the stories of other caregivers who take care of feral cats really interesting. And then eventually we did research about these uh, feral cats all over the United States. So that's what caused me to write the book. They're just really interesting creatures. You know, one thing that I think this shows is that no matter what her background is, now you're in market research, and you used your um, research in, in writing the book and then in the uh, data, collected data about uh, cats and feral cats and cats outdoors. And it just shows that no matter what our background is, we can all use our skills to help be animal advocates. No, that's a true statement, actually. That's very true. And uh, now, you know, in your book, you talk about trap, neuter, and release, and then a program called Cats at Work. Can you explain these things a little bit to, to our audience? Sure, yeah. I didn't know anything about trap, neuter, release until I became involved uh, with the feral cats. But trap, neuter, release, or return is basically what they do is they take feral cats, they trap them, and then they neuter them, and then they either release them back to the area where they were living or they relocate them to an area where the feral cats can do some good. So it's called TNR. And the reason why cat advocates are in favor of TNR is because cats reproduce tremendously. It doesn't take long for one cat to produce two or three litters actually in a, a year. And, you know, one cat can easily become about nine cats after a year. So, and there are too many feral cats out there and stray cats out there as there are. So TNR is a way of dealing with the feral cat overpopulation. But it's also something that's very humane for the cats because when cats are neutered, as you know, if you have a cat, they're a lot more calm. They're not in search of a, a mate. They're not uh, being a nuisance and um, spraying around the home area and things like that. They're just basically a lot more calm and there's less fighting among the cats. So it's a very good program. Now, Cats at Work is actually a program in Chicago, and it's a program that uh, Treehouse Humane Society is running, and there are several other uh, programs like it around the country, but Treehouse Humane Society has a Cats at Work program where they essentially take cats, they trap them, they neuter them, and then they relocate them to an area where there is a rodent problem. And so we applied to become uh, caretakers of these cats, so we applied to be uh, caretakers of the Cats at Work who are in our neighborhood. Well, you know, uh, it's interesting. Yesterday, in one of my, the groups I'm in, and LinkedIn, another member wrote that uh, she lives near a person who feeds feral cats. They're not; they haven't been trapped and neutered, and she's having a problem because the cats come over to her flower bed and leave their waste there, and and it stinks. And she was wondering what could be done. And you know, that brought the question to my mind. I mean, you have a colony of cats. How do you stop them from fouling up the neighborhood? Well, that's a great question, actually. We um, have actually a litter box for our outdoor cats, which sounds a little bit strange, but it's a way of reducing the waste around our home. We have three cats, uh, and we don't have a ton of waste, but uh, that's something that helps that problem. Uh, also, we don't have a ton of cats. We only have three. Uh, she may be in a situation where there are many more cats, so there may be too large of a colony there. 
But the litter box is really great. And also we find that in the cold, they don't want to go out into the snow. It's actually just something they don't want to do. So the litter box is actually a humane way of dealing with that problem as well. Yeah, you you mentioned the snow and you mentioned that your colony had come from somewhere else. How do you, when you first get the cats there, how, what makes them stay? I mean, this is strange territory for them. Wouldn't they stray away? They would normally, yes, absolutely. So there's actually a process where the cats are brought over and they're brought over and put into a very large dog crate. And that dog crate is something they stay in for about three weeks. And there are shelters in the dog crate. There's a litter box in there. And then we feed them twice a day during that three-week period. That acclimation period is really important because the cats get used to you. They get used to the neighborhood and the sounds, and they get used to their shelters. And that gives them the opportunity to kind of calm down and grow less fearful. So it's a really important part of that. And after the three-week period, you can then open up the dog crate. And what we found was the cats would venture out a little bit and check out the neighborhood and then run back to their shelters. And they were slowly acclimating themselves over the course of probably about five weeks as they became used to the neighborhood. And, And that's what kept them from running away. In the winter, do you have shelter for them? And are they just boxes or what kind of provisions do you make? So we actually had two different types of shelters. When we originally got the cats, we got the shelters that Treehouse provided, and those are storage crates. They're the plastic tubs that what they do is they insulate them, and it's like a cooler inside, and then there's a hole so they can go in, and there's an insulated area. We put straw in there, and they're completely covered, and they're out of the you know the rain and the cold. And so that, that was what we originally had. But because we love these cats so much and we wanted to get them something a little bit different and a little bit more attractive, we ended up getting them a cedar house. It's a cat hotel, cat condo, so to speak, and there are just two levels of it, and it's a fully insulated, and um, it has straw in it, which is good for them, and then it has a little heated pad, which they uh, step on and give them some warmth. That's a little bit uh, fancy, that cat condo that they have. It's not necessary for you to take care of feral cats. The tubs worked totally fine, and the cats were well protected during our incredibly cold winter last year. Uh, but that's what provision we have. That's interesting. Now, you mentioned you're st- you start a colony. Now, what would I do if I were interested? Uh, I mean, first of all, in Chicago, you mentioned the Cat at Work program, but are there a similar organizations in other cities? Yes, there are actually quite a few trap, neuter, return groups out there. If you go onto Facebook, you'll find there's probably at least a 100 of them in different areas. Many humane societies, including the Humane Society of the United States, advocate trap, neuter, return for feral cats. And so there are actually organizations probably all over the country, maybe not in every single town, but certainly in probably almost every major city, there are trap, new to return groups. And the humane societies typically are the ones spearheading these programs. They are the ones who tend to get called and told about a feral cat situation. And uh, if one is interested in becoming a caretaker or wants to be a part of a colony, I would get in touch with a humane society. If you do have feral cats on your property, What I would advocate is that you make sure that they are trapped and neutered because, as I said, it doesn't take long for one cat to become nine cats, and then you can get a very overwhelming situation uh, in your neighborhood. Uh, But to get them trapped, neutered, and then returned to the property, and uh, they will do extremely well with regular food. And uh, we feed them twice a day, Keith. 
and then to provide them with outdoor shelters, and they seem to do extremely well. Okay, so if I'm interested and I make the contact uh, to an organization, what obligation am I under if I say, hey, I want to start a cat colony? I mean, you mentioned yeah, you feed so- them and- yeah, it's, it's not a small obligation, actually. It is an obligation to the animals. You are essentially taking them on for the lifetime of the animal, so it's not a small obligation, but in our case, a very fulfilling one and, and one that made a huge difference, certainly for us. Um, as I said, um, they've been incredibly effective at, at eliminating the rats in our neighborhood, uh, and neighbors normally come by and will thank us on a regular basis for that. But the obligation is not small. We do feed them twice a day. I know many caretakers feed them once a day. We feed them twice a day. Obviously, we are uh, emptying their litter pan, and we are watching them. We make sure that they are healthy and happy, and we provide them with uh, fresh water all day long, Uh, and those are the things that we do for them, and they obviously have shelter as well. What happens if you go on vacation? Do they just have to fend for themselves? No, we always have somebody take care of them. We never let them fend for themselves because that would be a a reason for them to wander off and to to go elsewhere. So we've made an obligation to take care of them. So believe it or not, our neighbors are incredibly supportive of the cats at work uh, in our neighborhood. So we have neighbors who offer to take care of them when we're gone. Now, you said they manage rat infestations, and I'm sure for urban dwellers, that, that's a big draw to having a cat colony. But as they kill rats, don't the rats just have more babies and, and just stay at the same population? I mean, how do they reduce the populations? Or, or do the rats move on because the cats are around? <laughs> Actually, they do both. We know they do send some rats to rat heaven. We have seen uh, evidence of that. So they do kill the rats. They certainly kill the babies. They, uh, they definitely kill the adults as well. But the presence of the cats also is a deterrent for the rats. So interestingly, when we opened up the dog cage, the first thing one of our cats did was run right to the rat hole that was nearby. It's like she had been watching it. And I can tell you there is not a rat that lives there any longer. They have uh, <laughs> successfully encouraged that uh, rat to go elsewhere. So uh, well, but they get well, rid of them. They do kill them. And they also just get rid of them by being around. Well, that's great, but I think some critics would say, you know, feral cats can reduce the uh, population of songbirds and other small wildlife. What do you say to those people? Um, I say that I worry about the same exact things, actually. Uh, I have uh, been a part of the Chicago Collision Bird Monitor Unit in Chicago. We have saved hundreds of birds over the years, and I care very deeply for the bird population. And this is a, was a very big concern of mine when I got the feral cats, and that's something that I have watched. The evidence shows from my own cats that they are killing more of the land-based mammals than they are the birds. So we are seeing more evidence of rats being killed than birds. But cats do occasionally kill a bird. There may be some evidence from the research I've reviewed and then also from the research that we have done uh, that they tend to kill the sick and injured birds. Likely that's probably what they are killing. But largely what I see is that they're killing the rats and the mice. That's what they really love. And when we have video, actually, of our cats, we do see them stalking um, various things. And when they get near a bird, the bird flies away, and you can see my cat sort of looking upward saying, oh, gosh. (laughs) 
So they're really not a great match for the birds, especially birds that are not injured or sick. They just fly away. So uh-huh. uh, Now, what about the economics of the program? If I remember, you had a, how much the city of Chicago, it costs the city to trap and euthanize a feral cat. What are the economics of that versus uh, the cost of a feral cat colony to the uh, city of Chicago? Yeah, this is actually something that people will ask is how expensive are these programs for the city of Chicago? Keith, you'll be uh, interested to know that these programs cost the city of Chicago exactly nothing. All of these programs are completely funded by humane societies in the area. Caretakers like me, I'm the one who's caring for the cats. If they need to go to the vet, I'm the one that's paying for their food. So the city of Chicago does not pay anything for these programs at all. But if the city does go out and trap a feral cat, we understand that the cost for each and every feral cat that is trapped and euthanized, that it costs the city of Chicago about $245 per cat. Wow. Per cat, $245. And you can imagine how many feral cats, you know, there are and how much that could add up very, very quickly. Now, the problem, Keith, is that once you go and trap a feral cat and you euthanize it, unfortunately, something called the vacuum effect occurs. So as soon as you take that cat out of the population, because there's a food source and there's some type of shelter or something in that area, and it's not necessarily provided by a caretaker, obviously, but because there's something in that area that is supporting that cat, what happens is that other cats basically move in and fill those slots. So essentially what you have is a bucket that's basically you keep filling it and it keeps leaking out. So it's not solving the problem. And so you by every trap, every cat that you trap and euthanize, you just basically more cats move into the same area. So it's a never-ending problem. It's a similar phenomenon to what happens when uh, rats are trapped or poisoned then. It just keeps on continuing. So Right, that's- because the environment supports that animal. And until you make the environment such that it doesn't support the animal... It doesn't make a difference. And with cats, as you know, they're pretty territorial. So once you get a feral cat colony that occupies an area, it doesn't largely grow because basically they're sort of, they have their space. But as soon as a cat's removed from there, another cat will move in. Wow, that's very, very interesting. Uh, We need to take a break right now, but when we return, we're going to ask Anne if these programs are successful as far as the communities and how they respond and more. And we'll be right back. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. Pet Life Radio, the number one pet radio network on the planet, joins forces with iHeartRadio to put the power of your pets in your pocket. Awesome. Download the iHeartRadio app and rock Pet Life Radio on your phone, on your tablet, on your Xbox, in your car. Pet talk, pet tunes, and fun pet times. Pet Life Radio and iHeartRadio. Positively possum. Calling all pet product manufacturers and pet experts. Let the public relations and marketing professionals at Whitegate PR get you featured in the news. I'm Dana Humphrey at Whitegate PR, and we have been specializing in pet product PR for over 10 years and can get your brand featured in the media from TV to radio to print to blogs. You can find out more at www.whitegatepr.com. Hi, this is Tim Link, host of Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Join me as we feature interviews with best-selling pet-related authors, award-winning writers, journalists, and bloggers. 
we'll tell stories about the animals and interesting topics about the animals in our lives. Each of the interviews will give you a first-hand knowledge about why the authors and writers chose a particular story, what the feature animals meant to them, and what has become of those animals that we've talked about. And of course, I'll also share stories from my own books, blogs, articles, and experiences. So be sure to join me and the writers and authors on Animal Rights. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets on Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates. Our guest is Ann Beal, president of Beal Research and author of the book Community Cats, A Journey into the World of Feral Cats. And we were talking about how successful the programs have been in Chicago and other cities. Are they growing in popularity? I hope so, because this sounds like a really good deal for the taxpayer, the cats, and not the rats. But that's what we want, isn't it? <laughs> that's right. It looks as though the, the these programs have been very successful. Work that's been done actually all around the world, including in places like Rome, where they are covering something like 9,000 colonies, has shown that when you use uh, trap, neuter, return programs, the colonies actually start to decrease in size. So it's a way of dealing with the, the feral cat overpopulation. It's very effective. In terms of dealing with rats, it appears to be incredibly effective. I have my own experience, uh, which shows that in my neighborhood, we were seeing rats all the time. Keith, I haven't seen a live rat in quite a while. And, you know, as you know, in Chicago, that's pretty unusual. So very, very effective. I've talked and interviewed to other caretakers who are telling me that they had tremendous rat problems that they no longer have anymore, which makes sitting in the backyard a lot more fun. It makes going out a little bit less, you know, gross. That it's, it's all of a sudden that it's a problem that goes away for the most part. So it does seem to be effective. And then research that we've done showed from our work that other people who have cats, you know, do report that they are killing rats. So that's clearly evidence that the programs do work in terms of rodent control. Now, not all cats will go after the big rats. Not all cats are great rat hunters. But it looks to me as though there's a significant number of them and significant portion of cats that do go after rats and mice, which does decrease uh, the rodent problem. And as you know, rodents are really problematic. They have all kinds of diseases that can get your family dog sick and things like that. So reducing rodents is some, something that we in Chicago and in lots of places would like to do. Well, you know, I, I was looking at the research that uh, your firm has done on cats and, uh, you know, there may be some confusion. So it may, I should maybe backtrack a little bit. What's the difference between a feral cat and say a cat that's outdoors that perhaps had been a house cat and is either lost or somebody has has um, abandoned. I mean, is there a difference in definition between these two? And can feral cats be tamed? I guess it would be the word. Sure. So there is a difference between stray and feral cats. And feral cats are cats that basically were born outside. They were never socialized by human beings. And Cats have a very small period of wi uh, window of time when they can be socialized by human beings, and so they've missed that socialization period. As a result, feral cats look exactly like all house cats and stray cats, 
but they are fearful of human beings, and they largely live in places where we wouldn't necessarily expect a cat to be. They may live in in alleyways and underneath um, buildings and things like that because they're very fearful and they weren't socialized when they were kittens. Now, these cats over time can be socialized, but it takes a long time. Certainly with my feral cats, when I received them, they were very fearful. They would never let me get near them. As soon as I would bring them food, they would run away. And then when I was gone, they would go to the food and eat. But they were not interactive. It took about a year for them to become somewhat interactive with me and let me get near them. And it's taken another six months for me to sort of be able to interact with them even a little bit more. So it takes a long time. I don't think that feral cats generally make good house pets um, as a result of the fact that they're just so fearful. And they largely yeah. lived outdoors. Yeah, so that yeah, they, they probably would be very uncomfortable if one was to bring one inside, I would imagine. Yeah, they they definitely aren't ready for it. They're, they don't understand, you know, how a house works. I mean, they just have never had that experience. Now, stray cats, on the other hand, are cats that are perfectly able to be adopted. They are, we call them friendlies, and they are largely cats that were socialized at some point. Maybe they got lost or maybe they were dumped by an owner, but they live outdoors and they could be adopted, uh, but they just basically, for some reason, have not been located or have not been rescued. Now, do you find that sometimes stray cats are part of colonies of feral cats? Yes, they can actually become a part of a of a colony because it's a food source. So you might have a caretaker feeding twice a day and a stray cat that has to fend for itself will join that colony. And we've had situations where we have gone and trapped whole colonies and some of them turned out to be friendlies and some of them turned out to be feral cats. And so the friendlies are usually adopted at that point. We prefer not to have them living outdoors if we don't have to. Uh, and then the ferals are usually returned then to that location. Now, what have you found uh, in your research that either pleased or surprised you? I actually didn't know a lot about the number of cats in the United States when I started this work. And that was one of the first things that we did as, as a firm was we tried to understand how many cats there are in the United States. What we learned is that there are 69 million stray and or feral cats, 69 million of them. Now, just so you have an understanding, there are about 184 million cats in total in the United States. And so you can see 69 million out of 184 is a lot of stray and feral cats. And then what we learned that really surprised us was if you take these stray and feral cats who live outdoors all the time and then include the cats that live outdoors all the time that are part of a household, we learned that about 48% of all U.S. cats live outdoors all the time. I had no idea that many cats lived outdoors, but that was really surprising to us. Yeah, that really is amazing. I think it might be, particularly if the cats haven't been spayed or neutered, one reason there's a can be a negative reaction because uh, a lot of us have been woken up at night by cats howling and screaming and fighting and raising around the neighborhood. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. We learned that about a third of all people get their indoor house cat from the outdoors. So that tells you how many stray cats there are, that a third of people's cat came from the outside. So that's how many there are. But uh, it is amazing that with that many cats, it's not surprising that in some neighborhoods, people told me when I interviewed them that they were actually being awakened at night because there were so many stray cats in the neighborhood that were not neutered, that it was actually very difficult to sleep. So, uh, you know, that's why these programs are so important. 
The other thing I found that I that I thought was really interesting was that the majority of Americans actually feel very sorry for stray cats. Uh, what we learned was that over half of people uh, said that when they see a stray cat that they largely feel sorry for them and a third of people wish they could help them. So that was something that I was surprised that Americans actually have kind of a soft spot for stray cats. Well, that's great. And um, you really have a good start if about 50% already like them. But uh, what effect does education to the public about these programs have on uh, maybe people who have negative attitudes about feral cats? Sure. Well, we found that, first of all, most people don't know what trap, neuter, return means, and they don't understand what that program is. So what we did in our survey was we actually described the program to this large sample of uh, Americans and then asked them how they felt about this program. And what we found was that over half of them, actually, it was 55%, felt very positively about trap, neuter, release programs. They thought that they sounded like a great solution to a stray and feral cat problem. So that was something that they found very appealing. And then when we described more about the programs in terms of the fact that, you know, the cats are vaccinated, that the cats are monitored, the cats in these programs, you know, live almost as long as indoor cats and that they're fed by caretakers and a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about today, they were even more positive about the TNR program. So it looks as though educating the public is a really great idea because once people understand TNR programs, they're actually very supportive of them. Well, that's great. That's really encouraging to hear. And Anne, I ask each of my guests this question. With all the human misery in the world, how can you spend time, money, and resources advocating for animals such as cats? Well, I think that, you know, one of the things that we can do is we can learn as much as possible about them. And that's something I certainly did when I became a caretaker was I just talked with other caretakers and learned what I could about them. And now I spend a lot of time educating other people about them. I mean, even in, you know, just everyday conversations with friends and relatives and neighbors, I do educate people about these programs and explain what they are. And that's certainly one way we can learn a lot about these creatures. We can we can certainly help educate other people about them. Because, you know, Keith, when I heard the word feral, I thought maybe these are dangerous cats that are going to bite you and, you know, that they're wild and, you know, they're actually very sweet, <laughs> you know. They're cats. They're part of our, our world. And so education is important. I think the other way that we can help these animals is that, you know, when we come across stray and feral cats, we don't call animal control because the reality is that they are often destroyed when they're picked up by animal control, but we can call our local humane societies. We can get stray cats trapped and feral cats trapped, neutered, and either relocated or returned. That's another way we can take care of them. And certainly being caretakers is one of the ways that we can take care of cats like these. That's very interesting and a great answer. Hey, I have a question now. Does your firm specialize in working with nonprofits or with uh, corporations or cross-section? And, and was this the first animal-related uh, market research you did? It is um, one of the few projects that we have done. We've actually done some cat food research, actually, a, a few years ago, which we found really interesting. Largely, we do work for Fortune 100 companies, so very large businesses. Um, we don't tend to do a lot of nonprofit work. We do a little bit here and there, but this is 
probably the most extensive piece of research that we've done in terms of this particular area. Is there's very little research on feral cats out there, and we felt that this was some a way that we could contribute. So we actually did this, uh, you know, out of out of the goodness of our hearts, so to speak. So this is our contribution, actually, to the the literature that's out there, which there isn't much of, and that we wanted to basically contribute our expertise. Well, I really enjoyed the book. I enjoyed it because I thought it was a good combination. In the back, you have some research, but you have a lot of anecdotal information about after interviewing with colony caretakers and experiences of neighbors and even just, you know, the personalities of uh, different feral cats, including your three, and how they've developed and changed. Because it really surprised me that they became so trusting to you. Yeah, no, they they surprised us too. I I did not expect that they would ever really interact with us. I really just saw them as the working cats and sort of expected I would feed them and you know that would be it. But I was surprised to to see that they were very interested in kind of getting to know us and trusting us and we felt that we got a lot from it and one of the things that we learned was to kind of take them for who they were. So we learned patience, which is a a great thing and to to basically allow them to kind of blossom in their own way. And two of the cats now allow us to pet them very briefly, but they like to have a little pet before they get their meal. The third cat does not wish to be pet, and that's her choice and and we respect that. And that's something that we um you know, we appreciate that they each have their own set of personalities and that's something we saw with other caregivers as well is that they became very bonded to these cats and that they the cats have very different personalities and that the cats taught the human beings probably as much as the humans taught the cats. So Well, you know, if I wanna purchase community cats, a journey into the world of feral cats, where may I purchase it? Is there a website I can go to? Sure. You can purchase it on Amazon.com. It's uh, certainly available there. It's available in, in quite a few different places, but that's probably one of the easiest places to go. You can also learn more about the book at the website communitycatsbook.com. So that's communitycatsbook.com. And it tells a little bit about the contents and about me and gives a sample first chapter and tells you a little bit more about how this all began. Because it really was a journey. It was uh, something that I never really expected that I would ever write a book about feral cats. I never expected I would do research on them. But I think once you become involved with them, you realize you know how interesting they are. And they have certainly taken me on quite a journey. I think that's a uh, truth about animals. They can take us places where we never thought we would go. That's very true. And we've run out of time. And uh, we want to thank you so much for being with us today and sharing with us some really unique insight on uh, cats and feral cats in particular. And Max A. Pooch thanks you and gives you five big tail wagging wolves for sharing with us some very interesting information. Thank you uh, so much for having me. It was such a pleasure. It really was. And I hope maybe you can come on again and give us an update on how your cats are doing and on maybe any trends. And I want to thank Mark Winter, executive producer and co-founder of Pet Life Radio and the sponsors who made this program possible and invite you to join us for each and every episode of Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates. And make sure you tell your friends about us. And remember, until we meet again, when you do a good thing for animals, you help make the world a better place. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.